Thank you, David. So exactly, uh, well, a month ago yesterday, I was sitting on a plane flying to first Portugal and then from Portugal flying then on to Mozambique. Um, and ex- this trip that was uh, been planned months before, sitting there thinking I'm going to be able to go see my brother. I'm going to go see uh, many people that I grew up with in Brazil who all now live in Mozambique. All of these different people going and doing uh, Preach the Word, a program that I love. All of these things, these exciting elements... And yet, in that moment, I found myself sitting with anxiety, apprehension, thinking of all the doubts I had of what would happen, stressed of what might or might not happen, sitting there as a messenger with a mission, but I was just not sure I was up for the task. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt, maybe it's after we went through, we finished up the series of Colossians the week before I left, and we have in Colossians that we have a a calling, that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we talked about how big of a task that is based off of what God has done for us, who Christ is. Talked about that mission of proclaiming a message. We have this mission and and we know we're supposed to do it and it's a good mission. And yet when it comes to that moment of actually taking that next step, we often feel not up to the task. We, We feel stressed. We have anxiety. We have doubts. We're apprehensive of what this is going to look like. Month ago, yesterday, that's what I was feeling on my two flights heading to Africa by myself. We're going to talk about that more later. Because on that trip, God re-taught me, brought back to my mind truths and lessons that we can learn from Scripture. And and I hope that as we go through this, I can also encourage you with lessons you've probably already heard, you've already learned, and yet to remind us. Because we have a mission. We have a task before us. But for now... It's good to be back in the pulpit. It's been a while since I've been here. Uh, we, I'm grateful for Pastor Billy who has been taking us through the book of Daniel and it's just been a fantastic series. I've listened to the ones that I missed while I was traveling and then been fortunate to be here for the other ones. He is not done, okay? He is going to finish up next week. Some people were asking, wait, I thought we had some more in Daniel and were a little disappointed when they found out that it wasn't going to be Pastor Billy this morning. Hurt my feelings a little bit. I'll get over it. But... We're going to be continuing that next week. Then, Lord willing, after that, we will be going into the book of Ruth. But right now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to actually, you've already seen this on your handout. Uh, Dr. Say already mentioned it this morning. We're going to be doing a, a, a review. I'm going to be giving a report over my trip to Mozambique. I want to invite you, though, to turn to Acts If you have your Bible, please turn to Acts 14. 
We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 27. In Acts 14, we have Paul. We heard the passage read earlier. Paul is returning from a missions trip with Barnabas. God has done some incredible things. And now they're coming back to the church that has sent them out. Look at verse 25. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch. Now, what's special about Antioch? Well, this is what it says. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Meaning, this is where they were commissioned. This was their sending church. This church sent them out for this mission and they've gone, they've done it, and now they're coming back. And so what do they do when they return? Verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's what we're going to be doing this morning. Thankfully, the, the Sunday before I left, Pastor Billy pr uh, prayed for me, prayed for this trip. I know many of you were praying for me while I was there. You allowed me to go. You supported me in this mission. And now I want to come back and tell you all that God did. One of the elements, I, in the past, I've, I've somewhat struggled with reports like this, where I'm like, no, it's Sunday. We're going we're gonna to open up a, uh, some verses. We're going to go word by word and go through those. And generally, I would say, absolutely, we should do that. However, even as we've been studying through Colossians, seeing the other element of how important it is to encourage each other with what God is doing right now. How many times did we see as we were reading through Colossians, Paul trying to let them know this is what God's doing? In Colossians 2.1, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. He finishes the letter by saying, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that, is, that has taken place here. That's my goal this morning. I want us to be encouraged this morning. At the same time, I want that encouragement to be motivating as we seek to accomplish our God-given mission here on this earth. So how will this be encouraging? for the same reason that is listed in Acts 14, 27. It will be encouraging because we are going to hear what God is doing. What God is doing, not just here in our circle, but what God is doing around the world. So in order to accomplish that, we're gonna be, I'm gonna be just sharing what happened on this trip. Uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit then from, about what I learned, some of the lessons, and then what difference it's making. So start out, let's just talk about what actually happened. Um, Many of you know that for the last year, our, a few years, our church has been involved, uh, some of the people in our church, with a ministry called Word Partners. Now, Word Partners started here in the States, a, a program to really look at how to study the Word of God, to be faithful to the Word of God. But as is often the case, it didn't really take off here in the States as much as it did around the world. Specifically, in Brazil, Word Partners uh, did a partnership 
with my home church in Achibaya, Brazil. And there it started to just expand and have incredible fruit. They have now trained thousands and thousands of local pastors and local churches having these small groups that gather together in just studying the word of God. Now, one of the things that I love about this program is that it's not built on a personality. A lot of times, there, I get a lot of invitations to go to conferences or different trainings, um, and some of them are fantastic. But you'll find a lot of them are built around a specific personality in a specific location. I've been to conferences where the, the church is doing very well, but you look at it and you're like, well, that's because it's that individual's unique giftedness in that location. And for me to try to take some of the things he's doing and apply them to our setting would be unhelpful. The wonderful thing about Word Partners is you've probably never heard of any of the teachers. Most of the teachers are full-time pastors who have applied these things to their lives and then are seeking to teach it to other people. The other reason I love it is that it's not about a preaching method. We don't go through and say, well, you need to have um, this type of introduction followed by this many points. Um, you can, you, it probably has to have this many illustrations at these points. It, can no, it can't be longer than this amount of time. All of those are based on a very specific setting of figuring out what is right for your congregation, for your people. Word Partners doesn't do that. It doesn't tell you exactly how you need to preach it. I also love that it's not, um, we don't have hyper-divided theological disagreements. So often I'll, I'll go to different places and it's every other sentence, some hot topic theological discussion will happen. And I'm like, man, the proportion that we talk about those issues compared to the proportion that scripture gives time to them, it's just out of balance. So why, why are those things not part of Word Partners? Well, this is what Word Partners does. We study the Word of God. That's it. It's a group of 15 to 30 pastors. You get together and you go through an entire book of the Bible in between two days up to six days. And that's the whole time. Simple principles Principles like staying on the line. And by staying on the line, we mean you don't preach more than the word of God, which would be legalism. You don't preach less than the word of God, liberalism. You preach the word of God. You stay on the line. You seek God's heart. They're very simple principles, very simple values. But the whole point is to see what God truly says. One of the things that they tell all the, the participants is, please do not look at any commentaries. Please do not listen to other messages. Study God's word. Always throughout the session, if someone says, oh, well, this is what I think. Wonderful. Where do you see that in the text? It's, an, it's a coming back to that. And so what is that produced? This works in Sao Paulo, Brazil, much more like first world country. It works in Cuba. It works in Venezuela. It works in Lisbon, Portugal, which I had a layover there, and they, there's a group happening there, and I went and saw them. It works in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. It works in Mozambique, Africa. Why? Why does it work all these places? Because it's God's word. 
And so that program is something that, that I saw and was able to see all of the fruit of how, what that was doing in Brazil. And I deeply desire to bring that here. And so what happened then, um, just under three years ago, our church went through a time, many of you already know this, but we, where we uh, tragically lost our lead pastor to a motorcycle accident. And I found myself in this new position where I'm going to now need to be preaching week to week. And my brother called me from Brazil and he's like, what do you need? What can we do? And I said, well, I'd really love if we could do some type of training for myself with word partners of bringing this here, bringing people from Brazil to help train here, but not only to give me the confidence of knowing to truly that I am preaching God's word because that is the charge that is given to me, but I also want to surround myself with other people that I can be confident in that they will encourage me and exhort me when I depart from that. Who can come along that side and say, Stephen, you left the line. That wasn't being faithful to this text. Not only do I want this for me, I want people alongside of me that will keep me accountable to that. So three years ago, we started that partnership um, in a, way, a spectacular way that God did this. Uh, it was a partnership with our church here, my home church in Brazil, and then my parents sending church in New Jersey where I interned, my brother interned, and they sent my parents and support them like 80% of their missions fund for the last 40, 40 years. And so then to see where God, where this church has invested in missions and sent out, and now those missionaries, the result of their labor is coming back to bless them. So for the last three years, we've gone through five books already. We've been studying that and doing that. Where that led to then is that the whole goal is not just that you do it once, but that it would multiply. And so a couple, uh, several months ago, my brother invited me and said, Stephen, would you like to come with me to Mozambique and help do one of these trainings to lead one of these with a different group that's just starting over there. So I told him yes, and we went, and, and that was part of the process of what God was going to allow us to be a part of. But then we get onto the flight, because I'm excited about this. I love this program. I love doing all these things, but like I've already said, on the flight, I'm full of, I have stress, anxiety, doubts, apprehension, and I'm wondering, am I actually prepared? You know, this isn't the first time I'm interacting with the material. We were going to be going through Jonah, which I did once through Word Partners. We preached through Jonah here at this church. So I know the content, but I've always done it as on the student side. Now I'm supposed to be teaching it. And I'm doing it with people that I've watched preach for years who, who were going to seminary when I was like six years old, who were doing all of these things, who are, are these successful pastors. Well, they're not under quote. They're successful. They're successful pastors. <laughs> My brother might watch this later. And he's like, well, it's successful. <laughs> um, he's successful. And I'm looking at all of, all of this stuff and I'm thinking, who am I? What am I going to do? Many of you know, if you've worked with me in preparing for messages, I like to be prepared. I do not enjoy doing things off the cuff. Um, and so going to a place where I don't know what this is all going to be, and because of my travel arrangements, I wouldn't even be part of the training session of how to train So for the teachers, and I was going to miss all of that. There was an anxiety level. I knew it... it um, 
I knew the material, but I didn't know if it was going to be polished. And, and also I struggle with fear of man, that this is going to be the first interaction with some of these missionaries, their first time seeing me in ministry. And I want to put my best version forward. So there was all of that element. There was the apprehension about my ability to communicate clearly. Um, I grew up in Brazil. I'm fluent in Portuguese. Uh, when I left Brazil, you wouldn't, I didn't have an accent. But at this point, I've lived more of my life in the States than I've lived in Brazil. I left 15 years ago. In those 15 years, I've been back just a couple of weeks. I don't practice. I don't speak Portuguese anymore. And on top of that, it's not Brazilian Portuguese in Mozambique. It's European Portuguese. And it changes how you, how you communicate. And so I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm not going to be able, I'm going to say things. I'm going to mix. Uh, all, all words in Portuguese have a gender. And so I'm going to mix them and I'm going to do the masculine um, adjective with the feminine noun. And it's not going to work. And people are going to think that that's ridiculous. Oh, it's not going to work. Oh, and on top of that, it's a different culture. How, how is this going to work? Am I going to actually be able to communicate clearly with them? My other anxiety was my visa situation. Another element about me. I like following rules. And if I'm going to, especially if I'm ever going to be in a place where there is an authority over me, I want to know that I have done everything in my power that they, because I don't know what they can do. So I want to make sure that there is nothing, that I, everything's perfect. Going to the DMV for me is a nightmare. I hate that process. Well, Mozambique changed their visa policy and you don't, according to them, need a visa until you get there. And then they give you a visa on site. Now, I have a Brazilian passport and an American passport. For a Brazilian passport, you need a visa. My American passport was expired. So I had to go through the process of getting a new American passport, which took lots of time. And they were saying, well, it might be six months until you get it back. I did the expedited. I got it back. But because of using the two passports, I was traveling without a visa. And other people had their visas and, and they're like writing, yeah, well, technically you're allowed under this condition, but it's a new system and not all the immigration officers might know about that system yet. And, and I'm, I have anxiety thinking like, I'm going to get there. They're going to tell me something's wrong. I don't know what they're going to do at that point. They might send me back. I'm not sure. To make it worse, I am at the gate in Portugal I'm at the gate and the stewardess, uh, one of the people that was doing all the check-ins comes up and she's talking to people and she's like, all right, let me see your documents. So I pull out my passport. She pull, goes to the back and she's like, where's your visa? I'm like, oh no, they changed the law. You don't need that. Yes, you do. Um, no, like I have all, and I'm pulling out all the documents that I printed, all of the things from Mozambique's website and all this stuff. And she's like, okay, yeah, I guess that's fine. Oh, Okay. <laughs> all right, are, are you sure? Like they're not, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll be fine. I'm like, all right. But I'm like, I'm, I have all of this anxiety and I'm arriving there and uh, very little sleep. My, I had siblings visiting while we were here before print, finishing up Colossians. So we're getting there and I'm just in this place of turmoil and yet then still seeing how God was going to provide and how God was going to open doors for the preaching of his gospel. When I arrived there, uh, the first day was spent um, in Maputo. Uh, just so you know, Mozambique, if you're thinking of Africa, South Africa is at the very bottom. Uh, Maputo, uh, Mozambique and Maputo are right above it, right next to Madagascar. But Madagascar is an island, so on the mainland. Um, 
and we're right down in the South. We were only uh, like an hour away from South Africa. But we arrived there the first day. I hadn't slept at all. Arrived, went straight to a sem- the seminary where they were doing classes, waiting there until the missionary could drive me to the actual Word of Life location, um, which was a couple out- hours out of town in the middle of the savannah, middle of nowhere. Um, but so then we finally went out and we, uh, the driving was interesting. I would say that in Maputo, in, in Mozambique, they drive on the left side of the road, but that's not really true. They drive on every side of the road that doesn't have a pothole. So we would drive sometimes over here and then sometimes over there, and it wouldn't really matter. The uh, steering wheel was on the other side of the car. Um, very interesting driving situations. But we finally arrived at night at the actual Word of Life location that we were going to be staying. I didn't really get a chance to see any of it, didn't get a chance really to interact with people. But I did know that I was preaching the next day at a church that I knew absolutely nothing about. I would be preaching in Portuguese which would then be translated into Shengana, which was the local dialect. The official language is Portuguese, but there are many, there's over 30 different languages that are to each person, and most people then speak, most of the younger people all speak Portuguese as well. So I'm going to go now to bed. I'm going to try to, I'm, I spent most of the rest of that night translating the rest of, uh, of my message, trying to get it. I also had to condense it because if you're going to translate it, that means that you need you only have half the amount of time. Um, we know he, that I tend to speak for a while. Um, so really had to condense that message. But in the morning, I'm not even going with my brother. I'm going with uh, a missionary, a local missionary from there that I'm, I've just met. He's going to be my translator. I'm going with other people I've just met, one person I had known from before. We get into this car and we're driving through the middle of nowhere, through all of the, through the bush, and we're getting and uh, got lost along the way. Uh, finally, arrive uh, at this building. Uh, this is the church that we had there. Very simple building. We arrive late, not for the service, and we go into this back room that's behind that back wall, and all of the church leadership is sitting there, and and they're speaking through everything. I had to wear a suit and tie. Um, and they're just talking through the whole service and they're translating things for us. And then we come out and it starts the service and I've got to sit right in the middle of everyone for the whole service and just watch things because all of the church leadership would sit on the, the stage and then the rest of the church was out in front of us. So a very different cultural setting. Um, while we're walking out, people are just singing and they spontaneously started a song until the service would actually start. Um, the, the elements of what happened in that service were very unique, very just being able to see the culture. Once the singing started uh, at the very, be- well, actually before the service, it didn't really ever end. Um, anytime that there was any moment where there was like a pause. So like while we were waiting for David Drucker to come up to read scripture. Someone would have just started singing. And then once he started reading, then they would stop. And then if there was a pause between one thing to another, someone else would just start singing their own song. Um, So very interesting. Uh, Also learned that if you ever said, let us pray, everyone would start praying out loud. Uh, So you had to be very, very intentional to say, I'm going to pray now 
will you pray, listen to me pray while we're going to pray? Because, but it was a fascinating element because, uh, you know, like when you're at an event and like everyone's talking and then some cue just happens and it just quiet. They would do that every time. It would be, and then the one person who had been chosen to pray would pray. Very interesting. Um, the music started. It was beautiful. First, we, we had um, congregational singing. And then the leader of the service would keep on calling out different sections. They would leave, congregate in the back of the auditorium, and then walk down the aisle singing one or two special songs. Then everyone would sing. And then he would send out another group, and they would keep going. And that went on for two hours. And we finally got to, uh, we had a moment of offering. They had two different offerings. Uh, one of the very unique elements was um, they had a special offering that it was to do the building. And they called it up by age groups. And so, well, even, or status. So like the widows came up and gave, and then the leadership gave, and then the young people. And they counted each group's money and then said how much each group had given. I think we're going to start that. Um, <laughs> But they just went through that process of, of explaining this is what, okay, this is what was given. Um, but just to show a little bit of, the, of where they're at. So myself and another individual, uh, he's Brazilian, but he had dollars. And I, I, and I said, hey, would it be okay? Before the service, we knew that it was going to happen. I, and I asked, would it be appropriate if we participated and, were, and gave? And would it be okay if we gave dollars? Is that going to offend anyone? And they said, nope, that would be wonderful. Um, why don't you give when the leadership gives? Well, they counted all the money, and I gave, uh, in the end of it, myself and the other individual, we increased their giving by 50% that day. I gave 20 bucks. The other individual gave $20. Very, very poor. Uh, One of the most unique elements, well, two other unique elements, they had a moment of testimony. And an individual who had just turned 60 came up with his family. They sang a song as they were walking down, And they wanted to praise God that he had just turned 60. And part of that was then giving an offering to God. And so they had brought uh, several, maybe like 100 pounds of rice to be able to give to the widows of the church. And so they did that. And then they they distributed the the food. Um, One element we will not be taking from there is they did announcements. And the announcements took half an hour. Um, The individual came up with two different notebooks, all handwritten, and they were announcing way out until September. Um, it was a very interesting thing because he was speaking in the dialect and then it was being translated. But the one element that doesn't get translated is numbers. Uh, numbers are just spe- spoken in Portuguese. And so what would happen is at one point he was giving an account number, but the other individual was also translating it. So saying it at the same time. So he was like, oh, and if you wanted to give its account, it's the account number to one, one, two, two, three, for, like, I'm like, I don't think anyone got that number whatsoever. Um, Stephen, we're not going to be doing 30-minute announcements here, uh, so we're just going to kind of stick to where we're at. But one of the truly impactful elements of the service was just hearing the joy in which they had singing. I, I just wanted to show um, this video of, of them singing. This was an impromptu song where the pastor asked my translator, hey, did you have any song that you wanted to sing before we have the message? And he started leading them through the song, and this is, this is what they did. Trust in him, only in him. He is 
our beloved of our heart. And then now they're singing in their own dialect. The first part was in Portuguese. So just hearing all of their joy in that process. And then we came to the moment of preaching where I got to uh, preach in Portuguese and then have it translated. And just all of this moment, uh, the service took about over, well, it was well over three hours long. Um, but just seeing how God was present. That moment that I was so apprehensive about, am I going to communicate with these people that I don't know and they have a different culture? How am I, is this going to apply? It applied because it was the truth of God's word. It was interesting seeing the state of the church though in both that at that church and then hearing from other pastors throughout the weekend, throughout the week. The problem is not enthusiasm or attendance, it's training. Part of the process of, of them learning what truly, I'll just show this one. This is the pastor there in the middle. Um, that was my translator uh, who, if you guys saw the photos, he is quite tall. I am not that tall, but he is abnormally tall. Um, but this, the pastor was in the middle. Uh, this is a pastor that went through this Word Partners program a few years ago and is now trying and seeking to implement this in his church. But that's a process. It takes time. There are so many ways in which they are set. Well, this is the tradition. This is how we've done things. This is how we've always done things. And going through that process, there is a need for training. The pastor is a person of great authority and importance there. Um, hearing different stories, they would talk about, some of the pastors were talking about how people made what equated to thrones for them to be able to sit in front of the whole congregation. Uh, there would be times where there was parties and the church would eat one food that was prepared for them. And then the pastor would have their own private chef that would pre prepare a separate meal for them, different from the rest of the congregation because of a place of, of high um, importance and, and authority. Uh, even some pastors talking about different pastors who had their own security to keep them separated and, and in a place. And so all of these different cultural elements that come in, but what they need was the word of God. I was very impacted by the story of the different missionaries there. Um, many of these missionaries came from places that had solid churches. And yet they made this decision that when they arrived in Mozambique, seeing the condition of the local church there, what would have been easy, they had enough missionaries to start their own church. They could have just done their own thing in Brazilian Portuguese and just figured it out. The commitment they made is that not a, every single one of them would be highly involved with a local church and none of them would attend a church together. All of them are in different churches and they are submitting themselves to people that they are still training, but seeking to be an influence throughout all of that place. Thinking of the, the leader of the Word of Life Brazil, he was a pastor in my hometown uh, for 20 years. And now he's putting himself under someone who has 
just the barest amount of training, and yet he's supporting him and encouraging him in order to see the, the church become healthier. So Word of Life's pursuit is, is to train pastors. They, uh, this is the location that we were in. Um, they were able to buy this for a very small fee. It was a resort place for um, people to come out of South Africa. And South Africa it has a much higher GDP. And so we, there were a lot of tourists from South Africa that would come up. And so they made all of these little chalets on the bottom. There was a swimming pool, the main building. Um, and so Word of Life was able to purchase this for very cheap. And this is the place where they bring in all these pastors. They made everything into dorms and made it so that th those people could come there. And the training that they do is a Word Partners uh, merge, a partnership between Word Partners or Preach the Word in Brazil and Project Titus. And Project Titus is 30 pastors coming together and they're giving them basic instructions on what it is to be a pastor. Our schedule was unique. Um, we woke up, uh, like officially, you had to wake up at 5.30 in the morning. The program started at six with quiet time. Uh, we would then continue and we would have uh, breakfast. After we had breakfast, we would go right into the Word Partners training. After, then we would have lunch. We would have a small break after lunch, if, uh, after we had done the dishes and everything. After we had the small break, we would have to read a book. Uh, then we would discuss the book in groups. We would have another small break in which you could, um, some free time and then take a shower, then a meal at night, and then the night program, and that would go until 9.30. So we started at 5.30 in the morning. We went until 9.30. And then if you were teaching the next day, you got to stay up to prep. And that's what I normally did. So a lot of times I was going to bed around one o'clock in the morning to get things ready for the next day because they were expecting us to participate in everything. Um, even though our element was only in the morning, what they wanted was for us to set an example. Uh, one of those elements where I talked about that authority, and, and if you're up here, if you're a teacher, you don't, do, uh, you don't serve other people. Well, the very, the very first meal when we, got, when we get there, we did all the dishes. We did everything to serve them. We went and set up the tables and chairs so that then later they would do things. Now, I'm used to that type of thing, and I was not expecting that to be the type of impact that it was. And yet so many, when we were in small groups of the pastors that would say, yeah, when I saw that the teachers were washing the pots and pans, that, that changed me. Seeing how those simple, faithful elements really would change. Um, it was a beautiful setting. Afternoons, I would go for, uh, we had some free time that we could go for runs. So myself, my brother, along with the other trainer, we would go for runs. Uh, thankfully, I was in slightly better shape than both of them. So, and I, but I would stay with them because the thought was, if something shows up that can eat us, I want to save something in the tank and take off. Um, but... That, it, it worked out and uh, we were okay, but we would go for runs. Uh, this was pictures that took while we were going. Um, that was early in the morning for the quiet time before the sun was up and then just different times where we were going for runs. Um, beautiful setting, very poor. The, our food that we had over on this side, um, have, if you've ever had, if, how many of you had grits? Have you ever had grits the next day? Okay, where it's just congealed mass. That was supposed to be that way. Um, it was a congealed mass, but it was what they really enjoyed. It was made out of corn. Um, that top part over here was, uh, had been fish at one point. 
Um, and everything was very delicious, uh, but it was, protein was very expensive. Uh, I think that was done in a peanut sauce. Um, I don't know, any of you know what is right here in the middle of that plate? What the protein of that day was? It's a chicken foot. Very yummy. Um, the protein for that day was chicken feet. Uh, the banquet, the final day, was we had a piece of grilled chicken each. Um, people had to wait to know if there was going to be, if you were to be allowed to repeat. The food was served for you. And then after everyone had eaten, the, the leader would come up and say, all right, uh, this is how much we have left of these things. If you would like to get up and have some more, you can do so. Um, the only thing that I had not that my stomach was a little bit like, oh, I don't know, like I was fine with it, was a special drink that they make, which was in this bucket, which is a large bucket at the end. Um, that is a fermented corn drink, um, not heavily fermented, uh, although sometimes it is. This one had just been made, um, but it's the consistency of applesauce and it's a drink. So like my brain was like, yeah, this is good, we think. We're not sure, we'll, we'll find out. Um, but it was, it was fine, and, and all this process, but very a very poor setting. The water situation, when they bought the camp, they had no water at the camp. They would bring in water trucks to fill up everything so that they could have water at the location until they found out that there's a huge reservoir a couple miles away, and they're up on a hill. They found out that there had been, the government had started the process of bringing water up from the reservoir, so Word of Life paid um, a huge amount of money, well, I think it was like $60,000, to get that, finish that project to provide water not only for themselves, but for the entire community, which changed their testimony in be, before all those people. But when, I, when we're saying they had water, um, this was the caretaker of the property. Every day, we hiked up that way. Um, he would hike about half a mile up to turn on the pump to know which region would get water for that day. And so then it would fill up the tank and then send water and then everyone would fill up all of their things that, that held water and they would get water. Um, you can see in this uh, previous picture, this pipe that would go through, that would go to a different uh, section of the village and then they would fill up all of their areas. Um, and then each of these have a different part to turn off. And so, okay, well on Thursdays you get water, on, on Saturdays you guys can get water. And that was just the process. Um, bath time for people was you had a, uh, they built a fire to heat water, you filled up a bucket, you had a mug, that's how you took a bath. Um, they were very gracious to us that our, where we were staying actually did have a shower, uh, sometimes had hot water, sometimes didn't, that was fine. Um, but that was, that was just the process and no one even blinked an eye at it. That was just what they had and what they were willing to do. Um, but truly the reason that they, we're willing to have all that is because of the training that was needed. Many of these individuals, and we had pastors up to 70 years old and in their early 20s, um, this wide range of pastors who were just thirsty to be fed this different, knowing what the word of God said. Many of them uh, had traveled hours getting um, hitchhiking, finding rides, finding a way to just get to the training. And so then they would do that. And they would be sitting all day and just learning. Um, that was my translator up there who is, uh, had gone through the program. Um, that was the other Brazilian that came with us. And he's actually the coordinator of the trip that we're doing. Um, one of the main elements, though, on how the training happens is on the basics. It was the quiet time. 
um, starting out the weekend of just talking about what quiet time is, how to do the devotions. This group had met be- once before, not doing the word partners, but just getting to know each other. And I'd been challenged to do word partners. And they asked the group, okay, how many of you have been able to do quiet time? Like, what's your average? Once a week, twice a week, th- three times a week, not at all. And they were honest. And some of the pastors were like, yep, I haven't done it at all. No, this is what I'm, I'm kind of there. And just encouraging. And even the, 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 the person from Word of Life saying, yeah, I struggle. Here's a day that I didn't do it or different things. And so in the mornings, what we would do is group devotions where we would look at two paragraphs in Mark, where we would look at the observations we would have. What, what does it mean? How does this apply to us? And just seeing their love for the Word of God, but still at a level where they're still learning. And all of these our pastors. Um, in the evenings, we would get together, though, and, and um, like I said, Word Partners was in the morning, but then further training in the, uh, in the afternoons of just hearing the testimony of these pastors. Uh, but one of the most impactful elements was definitely in the evening when we would get together and just the singing and just seeing the joy. Um, I'm very Baptist, but I did my best. Um, this was Continuing and just hearing um, the training, the basic levels, and yet going and, and hearing things that I need to be reminded of. Hearing the testimony, one of the individuals, uh, Pastor Pinheiro, uh, is Angolan, which also speaks Portuguese, but had moved over to Mozambique. Um, he came there under a denomination that was a false gospel. But he started reading, he started learning scripture, and he realized wait, this is wrong. And he started teaching what the Bible truly says, and he got kicked out of his church. And he had to go and plant a different church. That was one of the guys that was singing uh, there. He preached a message, and it was fantastic. But then hearing him in, in small groups, and he was leading and feeling convicted by the things in which, the ways in which he's pastoring, the intentionality that he prays for every single of his member of his church, which is a large church, every week. One one day he prays for all the children of all the children of all the members. The next day he prays for all the teenagers. The next day he prays for all the women. The next day he prays for all of the men. He's going through all of these. He has a group text for all of them and, and including them. Hearing from the one uh, pastor down here, uh, at nights we would do something called pastor to pastor. And pastor to pastor was him saying, look, here's all of my experience as a pastor. Let me show you some of these things. Let me just give you some of these basic principles. We then also had the great joy of being able to teach. And I I had the opportunity to teach a couple of the different sessions and just then hearing, having the interaction with brothers who want to know what does the word of God truly say? Because up to that point, for many of them, preaching was more just a a walking commentary of, well, here's this verse and it makes me think of this. And and then there's this verse and, and so then I talked about that for a while. And then here's this other thing and that made me think about this soapbox that I really enjoy and saying, no, wait, what is, the, what is the point of this? Very impacted just to see what they're doing and what they're doing. And I'm, I'm in contact with a number 
of them. So it was just an incredible experience to see God opening doors and, and allowing us to participate. But what did I learn? Where did all of that anxiety, what, what did God teach me? And, and I just want to look at three quick lessons. First, God's plan is not accomplished through my power. Second, God's word is not limited to a certain culture or people. Third, God's desire is to accomplish his plan through faithful servants. God's plan is not accomplished through my power. When I was sitting with that anxiety, that apprehension, that doubt, who was I relying on? Who was I thinking was actually going to produce the results I was hoping would happen? Myself. Well, am I going to be clear enough? Are my words going to be crafted in a way that is good? Am I going to communicate in this way? Is my example going to be of this nature? And please make no mistake, there is a, a, a need to strive for excellence. We must study. We must consider. We must learn to know how we ought to speak. But, but the danger of striving for excellence is that we can start believing the lie that it is our excellence that will produce the results. It's not. Nothing that happened, none of the lives that were changed, none of the people that were taught, none of that was through me. I was fortunate that God allowed me to participate, but all of that was according to God's plan. The irony being for me to feel all those things when we're studying the book of Jonah and in the book of Jonah, we see all of these pagan sailors come to the Lord, and we see a city of 120,000 souls repent. Was that because of Jonah? No. If anything, it was in spite of Jonah. And yet, I'm here sitting in this plane thinking, man, am I going to get all this right? And just having to remind myself that God's plan is not accomplished through my power. God's plan is accomplished according to his purposes and his power. God has a purpose for this world. He has included us in that mission. And quite frankly, it can be scary sometimes to walk by faith and obedience. But make no mistake, the one who truly is accomplishing the plan is not us. We are tools that are being used, but it is God and his power that is accomplishing his purpose. That is a lesson I've had to learn and relearn over and over again. But in those moments when we think, I, I can't do this. Good. That's true. You can't. I couldn't. But he can. Also seeing, though, that God's word is not limited to certain culture or people. One of the great concerns with communicating to people, unlike you, is the question of relevance. Will this make sense? Will this apply? Uh, first day, I, I, anytime I'm in a new place, I'm really asking questions of like, okay, what is it like? Is there anything I should avoid? Uh, is there anything I should know? Is there anything when I'm preaching? Like just trying to understand, understanding that I'm different. I've had different experiences. And two separate missionaries brought up the, the uh, it's an anthropological distinction of how different cultures are created. There are three different distinctions. One is the culture of guilt. One is a culture of shame. And one is a culture of fear. We, the West, is generally a culture of guilt. Is it right or is it wrong? Even thinking about some of our greatest pursuits, well, we need to make it a law. 
We need to make it illegal or legal that you can or cannot do something. You can or cannot get married. You can or cannot have an abortion. That's our greatest pursuit. It's either right or wrong. It's guilty or not. It's the law. A more Eastern culture would be a culture built on shame and honor. Rob Cady several years ago preached about that and talked about how they, it, working in a culture of shame where the question is, will this shame me and my family or will it give them honor? That's the way that you make a decision. Now, I'd heard of those distinctions. I hadn't really heard about the culture of fear, which at least, and I'm not going to speak for all of Africa, but for Mozambique was very prevalent. What power does something have over me? Leading into a, a, a spiritism and, 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 and concern about demons and concern about what your ancestors could do and what they could subject you to. A fear, a, a place of authority. At one point, we got pulled over for no reason. And the guy lied and said, well, you were speeding to the missionary that, was, that I was with trying to get a bribe. Well, one of the, the missionary, one of the uh, pastors that was there, because he refused to bribe the government, had no electricity in his house for about a year. But there was positions of authority and how that moved into the different pastorate. Well, I could hear that and I'm like, wait a second, I don't know anything about this culture. I have nothing to say. What am I going to say to a culture that I don't know? But I need to remember that God's word is sufficient. Isaiah 55 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of, of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, the temptation can be, until I become an expert in, in all of the nuances of this culture, I'm just not going to say anything. Again, we should strive for that. I'm so pleased that the missionaries there are not saying, well, you're going to do things the way we've always done things. They, they are singing songs in a language they don't know. They're working on that process of understanding better the culture that they're at. But they're not staying silent until they reach that point. Why? Because God's word is a truth that is not held back by the bounds of culture. I just want to illustrate this briefly, thinking about these three different cult ideas. How faithfully preaching God's word will surpass that. Guilt, shame, fear. Think about creation. When Adam was created, did Adam have guilt before the fall? No. He was righteous. Did Adam have shame? No. Genesis 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Did Adam have fear? No, he would walk in the garden with God. He would communicate with God. But what happened after the fall? After the fall, because Adam sinned, he and creation were now under guilt, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because Adam sinned, he felt shame, Genesis 3, 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
Because Adam sinned, he felt fear. Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to them, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Guilt, shame, and fear. Faithfully preaching the word of God will develop each of those. But then faithfully preaching the word of God also shows the solution. Because we see the fall of creation, but then we see the redemption in the cross of Christ. Christ takes our guilt away. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ bore our shame. Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Christ conquered our fear. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, we, we might not know all the answers, but we have the truth that people need. And being faithful to God, being faithful to proclaim that, we're not trying to, to, to create a message that is relevant. We are trying to be faithfully, faithful in presenting the message that is already there. That leads to the final lesson is that God's desire is to accomplish his plan through faithful servants. Yes, God's purposes are accomplished through his power. Yes, it is his word that can overcome cultural and ethnic differences. And yet God has chosen to accomplish his plan through his followers as they faithfully proclaim his word. Again, thinking of Jonah, in Jonah 3, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And the whole message of Jonah is that he wants Jonah to be a messenger at, with his own heart, a messenger that has the compassion of God. What we see in Romans 10 is how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, this is, this is the work that's being done. This is the work that we are called to, that we not, must be faithful. So what difference will or does this make? One, because we're going to keep preaching the word here. Because there is only one thing that will work in Mozambique, one thing that will work in Lisbon, Portugal, one thing that will work in Achibaya, Brazil, one thing that will work in Cuba, Venezuela, in the villages of the Amazon, one thing that will work in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, and Mount Laurel, New Jersey. It's the faithful preaching of God's word. What is... What is Paul say in first, uh, 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God, this is one pastor speaking to another, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. That's a strong charge. Preach 
the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We must preach the word of God. That is why we put so much effort into making sure that what we are saying is truly God's word. The second difference that this must can make is that we want, I want to see for our church what it would look like for us to promote this ministry of Preach the Word or Word Partners. This is a ministry that is going to national, many ministries, their goal is to, is to find and raise up national pastors. Preach the Word already has more national pastors asking for this training than they can possibly do. What is limiting Preach the Word right now is that they do not have the money to send pastors to go and help. And understand this, all of these pastors are volunteers. All of them are going and spending their time to invest in other pastors. The only thing that they're asking for is the airfare. And they're going and having an opportunity to preach to 30 pastors who on average, each of their churches is 200 plus people that have no diet coming from the word of God. So I don't know what that looks like, but it's something that I want us to consider as a church. What would it look like for us to support this ministry? And it's not much that allows for these groups to start. The third thing though is for asking you to promote and to support this ministry, it would be to prepare our members in that process as well. Um, I want us to provide this training. Many of you have talked to me about, well, I, th I think this word partner sounds great. Like, when is that going to become available? I have great news. Very soon. Um, starting in September, we're actually going to be offering a word partners training for all of our members. Um, one of the things that both Pastor Billy and myself have felt convicted by uh, and a, a burden for over the last several years is the need for supplemental ministries. We, we love our Sunday morning service. We love expository preaching, going through the word of God. However, when we are going through the word of God and going through, what we gain from that is that we're not just doing things that we already know. Every week we come to something like, I never knew that. I'm learning this and I'm gonna try to preach that faithfully. And that is the wonderful thing that God put books together with an, a purpose. On the flip side, though, there are elements that we know are big issues within our congregation because they're issues for myself, they're issues for Pastor Billy, and we know they're issues for you that we really think need attention. So do we stop our series in the mornings to do those? What, what does that look like? And so we've been trying to think through what, that, what that's going to happen. And what we're going to try, we don't know if this is going to be the thing, but Sunday nights... We're going to be taking Sunday nights for an hour from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock to start offering these different trainings. To start, we're just going to do one of these word partners. In the future, we want to expand that, offer other classes, other things of very practical. What does biblical marriage look like? What are issues of purity? How do you use your finances well? Some of those other things, theological training. But we want to start right now with word partners. So starting in September, we'll announce later what the actual day is. But starting in September... From 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, we're going to be going through Word Partners. And we're going to go through the book of Jonah. And I really want to encourage as many of you as possible to come. I'm not going to get to the point where I exhort you to come, but I'm one step under that. Um, 
just encouraging, not only so that we can see this work that God's doing, but so that it can, who knows how God's going to use it in your own life. As the worship team comes up, though, I, I, I hope what we can see this morning, though, is just be encouraged by what God is doing. That God is doing an amazing work, not just in Clark Summit. God is doing something around the world, but it is according to his power. It is through his word, but he happens to also choose to use faithful servants to accomplish that. 